Father God, thank you. Thank you again for gathering us and uh, that we have this astounding, really quite incomprehensible privilege of entering into your very presence and doing so, therefore, in a very personal way is most wonderful. What a blessing indeed that the barriers to that, which were there for many, many centuries, even millennia of time, that they were removed. They were taken away through the perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And then his payment for our sin in every way and glorious resurrection. And now ascensioned and sitting at your right hand, Heavenly Father, and that we are seen by you to be in him. And therefore, we have full access to the throne of grace and glory. Thank you, Father. Uh, <clears throat> may we continue, as has already been well expressed today, to, to grow in our understanding of that, in our appreciation of it, and in our ability as you enable us to, to reflect that glory to others, that they also may have the blindness removed and the light shine forth to them. Thank you, Father, for working in and through your believers, wherever they may be, to give them a testimony in this darkness, to pierce the darkness with the light of your glory. So, Father, I, I pray for ourselves here and others uh, in our group as they reach out to friends, to loved ones, family members, uh, those they work with, those they meet on the road or in the market, or as we walk from place to place here, may we always reflect your glory and your grace, and may we find new ways, that you, in fact, see the ways, really, that you've provided for us to be even more of a witness. And we're so thankful for opportunities that you've raised up here for us. Father, there are so many in darkness today, and the nation is captured. We're not sure, but it seems that all the nations have always been captured, <laughs> primarily by sin, of course. But nevertheless, there have been great movements whereby you have released so many from that bondage and from that, that blindness. So, Father, I, we know that that's certainly been true here in our nation so long ago, but now much of that liberty has been lost, practically speaking. So, Father, we pray for our nation that you would open the hearts and minds of those that actually can influence, those who do have positions and a place from which to speak and are heard by, by many. We pray that they would receive your truth gladly and want all to know and would be bold to speak it forth, whatever the consequences. Certainly we pray for those in our government that they would be of that sort and that the others who would seek to promote the lie, that they would be set aside, that our nation might be recovered somehow from this long path down to destruction. Father, we are very thankful for friends and uh, and for perhaps for some of them that the light of the gospel of grace might come in to their hearts. Father, I 
do praise you as others in our group have here already for the opportunities to, to study together with others and to open your word together. We certainly pray. And Father, may many come to know through our witness and outreach and teaching about what you are doing today, Father. What you are doing and therefore how we should respond. We pray that you bless our, our meeting this morning which also focuses on that critical subject. We pray, Father, for the circumstances we're in where patience and endurance is needed. And indeed, there are many situations like that. And we know, Father, that when the peace of God overwhelms us, we will have patience and endurance. And I pray for strengthening, Father, that you would remind us from your word what you are doing in us and who we are, therefore, for you, but also for others, and that they might see reflected in us the glories of your grace. And some of these circumstances are very, very difficult indeed. Really, without your help, Father, we would not be able to stand, and yet with it, we can rejoice. We're thankful for that great hymn that describes our lives here and how indeed uh, you are the mighty fortress and we are the ones protected within it. What a precious and wonderful thought that is. So, Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that uh, we would be blessed greatly and uh, the spiritual food would Give us what we're so much in need of this week and this day. And we would ask that in Christ's name for your glory and honor. Amen. Well, we're privileged today to continue on in uh, this amazing letter, Paul, to the Romans. And uh, we've already come up to uh, chapter 6. And today we are uh, beginning down around... Uh, Verse number 11. Let me give a quick overview of how we've come <clears throat> recently here. Because last time, you'll remember, uh, our theme was dead to sin but alive to God. Hallelujah. And that's really the foundation for everything else that follows here. And it's just a, a wonderful doctrinal statement of how God has worked through our Lord Jesus and his completed sacrifice on our behalf, paying the penalty for all of our sins and uh, opening up uh, the way for us to have even the, the righteousness of Christ himself, his own righteousness uh, imputed to our accounts, counted, counted as our own. And that's... Uh, where Paul left us there uh, in uh, our study last time, and we got down to verse number 11. And uh, the outline last time, which is probably a good enough summary, is uh, first of all about the logic of grace. The logic of grace is that God's work can never lead us to evil. So even though when sin abounded, grace did much more abound, uh, the ones who would seek to then blame God 
for everything uh, are uh, rendered uh, <laughs> silent simply by the fact that what God is doing can never lead anyone to evil. So uh, if evil abounds, it's certainly not God's fault. You can't blame God and therefore be justified somehow <laughs> uh, by God's grace, uh, simply uh, by that fact. <laughs> and so really uh, the logic of grace is, is that simple. Then he goes on to explain that because uh, it may not be straightforward. Uh, many may still misunderstand the essence of grace. And so he, he goes on to speak of, to that subject of the substance of grace and how grace actually motivates us. And because grace motivates us, <laughs> all those who, who are believers are motivated by God to live according to the righteousness which has been counted to us. So we have access to God. We have peace with God available. We're uh, uh, endowed by the Spirit of God. There's everything about what God is doing today that's uh, there to support us and guide us and direct us and, and bless us. So uh, we're very well instructed then in... Uh, the essence and substance of grace when we understand this. He uses the word baptism there, not about water ceremonies at all, but about uh, the identification that from God's point of view, uh, we have now received. So we were identified with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And that is uh, that identification is called a baptism. Um, in fact, baptism, even the water sort under the law, was all about an identification, because uh, the idea there was, <clears throat> and it's just a sort of a ritual and a, and a ceremonial kind of uh, identification. But nevertheless, the idea was one's sins which were being confessed, would be transferred over to the water and, and carried away by the pure water, the uh, water that was uh, ceremonially clean. And uh, baptisms could only be done with that kind of water. And when one was, was ceremonially cleansed by having the water applied, then uh, that person ceremonially was declared to be clean before God. So that was as far as it went under the law because uh, there was no other provision for sin since the perfect sacrifice hadn't yet been offered. Uh, other animals shed their blood and so forth. That, that was also part of the ceremonial system there under Moses' law. But uh, that was not sufficient except to provide a covering temporarily. And then every year on the Day of Atonement, uh, those same sins had to be confessed again over and over and over. That's the way it was under the law. But today, under grace, we have uh, had the perfect sacrifice already offered. That's uh, our Lord Jesus himself. 
And his righteous act in doing that is what has allowed our justification. In other words, allowed God then to therefore apply to us in his great heavenly accounting system, as it were, uh, the righteousness that Christ accomplished in paying the full penalty for our sins. So, so we have been baptized, and then that, that's what he says there in chapter 6, verse 3, knowing ye, know ye not, and this is something he says we absolutely must know. It's critical for us to know this, or we can't go on in the understanding of what's written here. So he says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. But like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so, the provision has been made by God. Not only does he see us as righteous, he has provided for our life by giving us everything needed for that. So we're now in a position where we can, with his help, of course, walk in newness of life. And it all goes back to the righteousness that has been uh, Commented to us, imputed to us, and all the other provisions that God has made for each of us believers today. There are other places where Paul mentions baptism in this sense. Most of the time when he writes about baptism, it's, it's this uh, spiritual baptism that the Lord God has provided for all of us. He does mention water baptism in Hebrews chapter 9 where he says that was something for the past under the law but that time has passed. It's no longer uh, present. And so today there is no water baptism that relates to the believer from God's point of view. Paul also mentions water baptism in uh, the Corinthian letter in uh, 2 Corinthians, but only in a negative sense, where he says that he's really glad that he didn't baptize any except for a couple of, of Jews who happened to be leaders in the synagogue who became believers there in Corinth and then uh, left immediately and uh, met with Paul in, a, in the house of a believer nearby. And he baptized them because uh, that, that was part of the uh, ministry of Paul during this transitional period leading up there to uh, when Israel was completely set aside in every sense and the Romans came in and destroyed the temple and so forth. So during this transitional period, God's reaching out to the Gentiles primarily, but there are many Jews being saved in every city and they are... Uh, Many of them were, were already saved before under the previous system, but they've come into the body of Christ and as a witness to them as to how God is working today and as a witness to those who wanted to continue on with, with the, uh, the previous uh, dispensational plan 
Paul, as apostle, still performs some of these uh, acts, such as uh, baptism occasionally. But it was not something he was sent to do, it says here. Remember, he said in another place in the Corinthian letters that he will do anything to avoid offending another one. And uh, so this is all about that. Okay, so that's, that's enough on that subject. So that's the substance of, of uh, grace. And there's the benefits of grace in verses 5 and 6 and 7, where he says that uh, our connection to Adam has been set aside. We've been planted together in the likeness of his death. And uh, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is, was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, really annulled. Its power has been annulled, uh, but, but it's still active. The, the old nature, the sin nature still dwells within each of us. It's not eradicated. Its power is merely constrained because previously we had no way to avoid its power. Now we do because of all the blessings that God has provided. That's the message of those verses. Then he goes on to the promise of grace, which is that our free gift under grace is life with Christ. So I'll read those verses. 8 through 10, so they're well in mind as we begin our study today in verse 11. Verse 8, now, if we be dead with Christ, really sense, sense, you know, assuming that we are, which we are, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And this is just a remarkable thing, uh, really. It, it's completely uh, amazing in a sense, because what Paul is really saying here is, is a simple thing. It's so simple we might have missed it reading all these words before many times, perhaps. I know I did uh, for years. And, always had a question mark in my mind about why does he say what he does here in these verses. But what he's really saying, and this is critical for our understanding to know, is that Christ now, having already died for the uh, sins of the world and having already completely paid the penalty for, for them all, he now is alive in heaven at the right hand of God and his ministry now does not relate to sin and sins because it's already been that's already been wiped clean our slate has been wiped clean we no longer have any on our account what we have instead is the righteousness of Christ and so he relates to us today not as sinners but as righteous and all that is happening now in the dispensation of grace as it relates to believers is the fulfillment of, uh, of the truth of that, which is that Christ works on our behalf in many ways, but not in relationship to sin. 
the Holy Spirit it dwells each of us and works against our sin nature, which continues with us. When we walk with the Spirit, he delivers us from his power. But Christ himself in his ministry is ministering apart from sin. All right, that brings us uh, to our teaching for today. And here's the outline. The outline is, first of all, the reckoning that counts, and that's our theme today, the reckoning that counts. I took that title from a book by Miles Stanford, of course, uh, written many years ago, but a book that was uh, very instrumental as the Lord worked to help us understand uh, Romans chapter 6. <laughs> and a, a great booklet indeed, not very long, but very powerful. The Reckoning That Counts by Miles Stanford, and it's still in print. I think it's in, a, it's in an anthology or collection of other things that Stanford wrote uh, called The Green Letters. Okay, first of all, the reckoning that counts. In Christ we died and were risen again. Secondly, the reckoning that counts. An exhortation to liberty abides always. Thirdly, living as alive from the dead our privilege. And fourthly, grace frees us from the bondage to sin. That's the teaching of these verses uh, here from verse 11 through 14. And so we begin with the reckoning of the counts. In Christ we died and were risen again. And I'd like you, Patty, to read verse 11 for us, if you would, please. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, amen. Uh, wow, that's a wonderful thing indeed. Uh, so now Paul becomes very practical, but everything that he's going to write here is totally dependent on what he's written before. That we've just reviewed. So what he's saying is that now we have the pr a privilege that no unbeliever has. And no one who's under the law even understands this privilege, really, because he says, reckon yourselves likewise. And I'll mention why he says likewise in a moment. But reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So everything is about how the Lord sees us. Because grace is all about the finished work of Christ regarding our sin. Everything that's been accomplished by Christ on our behalf is fact. That's reality. That's our history, as it were. And so now we go on like Christ is going on, apart from sin, Apart from that connection to Adam that always uh, brought fear of death and, and uh, no uh, escape really from the power that uh, dwelt within us through, through the, uh, the corruption that came upon the creation and specifically in uh, Adam and Eve and then was passed on to all of their offspring. So what was passed on was not only the uh, relationship Adam, as far as God was concerned, they were separated. 
<laughs> because Adam's sin was imputed to their account. Uh, but also, uh, they had a sin nature that uh, made them always prone to sin. But we have been set free in so many ways from this, even though the sin nature itself still dwells within us. And uh, so, really what Paul is saying here is that when he says likewise, he's saying, well, Christ is in the heavenlies, at the right hand of God. His connection to Adam's sin was ended when he paid the penalty for it. And that applies to all of us now that we have been justified in Christ Jesus. So uh, that's where we stand without sin between us and God. There's nothing separating us. Okay, so God sees us as in Christ Jesus, and now, therefore, we should live like Christ is, without reference to sin, but in the fullness of life. And that's what verse 11 is all about. But he says the key to doing that is reckoning. But previously he said, you know, you know, you know. You have to know these things that, that have already been accomplished. If you don't know that, then you can't count upon the truth of it. You can't take God at his word. You can't believe God. So you must know that. And if you do, then you may very well reckon also, take it, take it as reality, take it as fact, and go on and live the life, right? Without reference to sin. But unfortunately, that's not how it often works out, okay? Because we often do not reckon upon it and rely on our own resources. And uh, that, of course, uh, just leads us back into under the, 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 the strength and power of the flesh. We place ourselves under some kind of religious rule, and uh, that cancels out uh, temporarily, at least, the working of, of God in us, because now the Spirit of God, instead of working against the sin nature, is convicting us of, of having uh, gone contrary to what we well know to be the will and purpose of God. Because grace is teaching us, so we know we know so much once we've been saved. Okay, that we have a new nature, for example. Think about that, right? And that's desiring that which is uh, honorable and good and righteous. Okay. Uh, now there aren't there are two verses. I'd like Patty to read uh, those for us so they're in our minds because it's in Hebrews chapter nine verses 27 and 28. So they, uh, they say a similar thing, but give us a slightly different uh, view of it. So, uh, Patty, please read those verses for us. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Okay, thank you. Uh, so notice what it says. Uh, he, he offered himself once. <laughs> he he uh, did what was required regarding the sin uh, of mankind. 
once only, and then once having done that, he lives uh, apart from sin without it. Uh, without that focus any longer. So the work of Christ, even even here at the second coming, which is, uh, I, I think, uh, what he's talking about here, primarily in Hebrews nine. He will appear, it says, uh, unto them that look for him without sin unto salvation. <laughs> Not with reference to sin, but without reference to sin, and instead with reference to salvation. So the teaching is very clear. We're to reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto God. Now, that verse is transforming. It's certainly been transforming for us for so long, for so many years, and we remember the day when finally uh, we could say, quite literally, it was written on our hearts with some understanding, and not just words without meaning. And so it's transforming for all who study Romans, dispensationally considered, to see how critical this teaching is for us who are living under grace today. That brings us to the second point, uh, the reckoning that counts and the exhortation to liberty abides always. Patty, please read the next verse for us, Romans 6, 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Thank you. So when we study scripture, we need to always ask what is the context of what we are reading, all right? And to the extent that we do that, we will be enabled to understand. The Spirit of God is able to teach us then, uh, because the Lord God has a logical mind. <laughs> Sometimes they speak about uh, divine logic, <laughs> referring to that, right? And his, his uh, servants wrote scripture uh, accordingly. I mean, there's very much uh, logic, as it were, revealed there in the scripture that's written. But you have to take it in its context. You can't just take it out of context and understand it. And uh, in fact, that's uh, <laughs> that kind of thing is, you know, it's so common. Uh, we, we see it everywhere in teaching, but uh, it certainly doesn't lead to understanding. And so here we have verse 12, and it's in the context of verses 11 and those that have gone before. What does he say? Let not sin, sin therefore. Okay, so how can we read verse 12 without reading the previous verse and then the ones that led up to that? Well, the previous verse is all about reckoning. And so the reckoning must occur. If it does not occur, then verse 12 doesn't have a, a foundation at all. In fact, if you just try to do what verse 12 says in the power of the flesh without any reckoning on how uh, that power has been uh, weakened and annulled and uh, we now have the righteousness of Christ, so it's not as if we're coming to God with sins that need to be somehow uh, taken away or, or washed away or expunged or uh, repented of or whatever. No, uh, we, we stand before God righteous. The problem is 
we have not received the truth properly in, in order to live above and beyond the power of the flesh and in the realm of liberty. And so here we see an exhortation to liberty, and this exhortation is always there for those who are taking God at his word and the teaching that's just gone before. And so he's able to say quite legitimately, let not sin therefore reign, it's present imperative. So stop allowing sin to rule over your mortal body. That's a paraphrase. Because if you do, you're just going to be obeying it, right? <laughs> allowing it to, to exercise power over you and make you into a servant, make you into a slave, which you really are not from God's point of view. So he cries out, just stop <laughs> letting this happen. <clears throat> and uh, he's, what he's doing is exalting the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. Oh, my. It's easy to remember back, isn't it, when the sin was overwhelming us. And uh, many of us were saved in the circumstance where we actually were we're very well aware of that, and in fact, wondering how we could somehow get beyond the power of sin. And we felt like we were dirty. We, how could we come to God? We were too dirty. We had evil and sin uh, on our hearts and even on our lips. How could we uh, come before a righteous God? And the words of the good news of the gospel of the grace of God were precious to hear and and we were saved under a circumstance such as that. Well, we can remember that well, but now we're uh, way beyond that. Now we have learned how God is working today under grace. And he says, take advantage of this special reality which you now live within. It's a it's really heavenly reality come down upon us a spiritual reality where we have life and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ and because of the new nature dwelling within us and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have the, the power really to live above and beyond the passions of the flesh and therefore to live in the realm of liberty. Oh, what a privilege it is. Um, praise God. And uh, we should forever be thankful, huh? It brings us to uh, the reckoning that counts, uh, living as alive from the dead, our privilege. He's going to explain this now by getting down sort of like the nuts and the bolts of it, because ultimately what is living all about? We have various members, and uh, what he says here, Patty's reading it for us now, okay? Verse 13 so read it for us, please. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Oh, my. Okay, so this is extremely practical. Again, it's present imperative. Stop yielding. I like the word present a little better because it's much more positive. The word yield 
implies that this is really difficult. Well, actually, it's not difficult when we've reckoned ourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto God. It's just straightforward. The next thing uh, will be this uh, presenting your members. So don't present your members any longer, he says, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but rather present yourselves unto God as as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as the instruments of righteousness unto God. Now those are encouraging words, or at least they should be, because what he's saying is that no matter what member we're talking about, could be your tongue, for example, and we all know that controlling the tongue is just extremely challenging. Well, it's really challenging if you're a a carnal and not uh, walking by the Spirit and you're not reckoning uh, upon the full and completed work of our Lord Jesus Christ and taking advantage of the privilege that we have all had as believers with all of these blessings poured out upon us. Oh my, so yeah, how can you control your tongue? Well, it's straightforward. It, it, it's just, uh, in a sense, it's the way a, a, a tree bears forth fruit in the springtime. I mean, it just—it's not having any difficulty doing it. Assuming a, it has water, it has uh, had everything needed um, for for the health of the tree, and uh, especially the sunshine and the carbon dioxide, of course, which is uh, making the whole process work. Uh, and uh, so what does it do? It, uh, it bears forth fruit. It's the most natural thing in the world for a tree to do that, a fruit tree to bear the kind of fruit that uh, God has ordained for it. And that's the way it is for us when we uh, live in the realm of this liberty, which the Lord God has provided. Wow. You see the abundance of grace and how it operates and how blessed it is. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Well, that already has brought us to really the last verse that I want to uh, consider in detail today, verse 14, where we see the reckoning that counts, how, how grace frees us from the bondage to sin. Patty, would you please read verse uh, 14 for us? For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Thank you. Well, I'm sure many are saying amen, uh, hearing these words read, because they're so blessed indeed. Uh, What a statement. You know, he said before, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And now he's saying that in reference to the to our lives as believers, right? Previously, it was a general statement about all, all of the world, right? And all of mankind. But here, uh, it's about uh, believers. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Uh, it will not any longer lord itself over you, with you, in effect, being a slave to it. 
in bondage to it. Four, he says, repeating that precious truth he's mentioned before, right? So critical to the teaching in the letter of the Romans. You are not under law, but under grace. No definite article actually in the Greek there. So he's not only talking about Moses' law, he is uh, certainly referring to it, but all legal principles short-circuit the working of God under grace. Why do they do that? Because they promise a blessing through our works independently of our faith. So really what legal principles do is to say, Forget God. You don't need uh, him. You don't need his provision. You don't need any of that. Uh, all you need to do is, is bring forth the works that the law demands. This law may be your own law. It may be the law of the church. It may be the law of uh, some ethical system you've uh, joined yourself to. Maybe the principles required for living in your family. But what Paul is saying here is that Assuming that you've reckoned, you know you, and, and the truth and that God has uh, taught regarding the finished work of Christ and all of the benefits he's now made available. You know that, you've reckoned upon it, and, and now you've, you've presented your instruments as unto God for the, the fruit to be born in righteousness, right? And so sin will, will lose its power over you under that circumstance. So what he's really saying is that because you're not under law, but you're under grace and all of its provisions, the Lord God now is able to work in you in the way that he has uh, chosen and ordained and, uh, and uh, provided for, for believers living under grace today. Oh my, what a wonderful teaching this is when you take it verse by verse, very slowly, and understand so much better uh, than before what it means. And so today, in the heart of the dispensation of the grace of God, it's not law that has the power to deliver us from the bondage to sin, it's grace, and only grace. And so we live with a new empowering, a new dynamic, and otherwise, there wouldn't be any possibility of living on this higher, this heavenly plane. But what Paul has done here is to set forth the teaching very clearly, step by step, that we might not have any confusion at all about where we stand before the Lord and what his expectations are for us. And he's going to go on in the letter to explain it even more completely and fully, and really, I would say, to exclaim and to rejoice in the glories of God's grace here as he goes on in the chapter, Lord willing, next time we'll, we'll look into this. But Patty, read for us the last uh, four verses uh, in Romans, please, to, to see how he ends the chapter. It's so glorious. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin 
and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Oh, my. What shall we say in conclusion? Well, Paul is keeping it really simple. It's many verses, 23 verses, as the translators divided the chapters here. And I think they made a good division in this case, although chapter 7 is going to start right up with <laughs> the same thought that 23 makes here. But uh, <clears throat> nevertheless, uh, you have to divide a chapter somewhere. It's as good a place as any. So he's keeping it really simple, actually. And I, I would say that uh, the whole issue, just so we keep it as simple as Paul did, the whole issue is, is how does God see us? And what is the provision that he's made for us uh, under the circumstances we're in, where we've been set free? The bondage to Adam has been broken, but we still have the sin nature dwelling within us. And uh, we have the righteousness of Christ and counted to us, imputed to our account. So he sees us as righteous ones now that may bear forth fruit. And so he's provided uh, so many enablers with uh, the new nature dwelling within, the Holy Spirit dwelling within every believer. And uh, with the truth here that, that uh, will enable in the plan of God for today under grace will enable us to bring forth the fruit that God has ordained. And so he reviews here exactly how that is. It's all about knowing the truth, reckoning upon that truth, meaning taking it to heart by faith, presenting ourselves unto God, therefore, instead of unto the old nature to do what the old nature would have, and uh, then uh, um, enjoying the, the fruit of it, right, and the blessings of it. It's all that, that simple. And so this is the, the teaching of this, of this chapter, and uh, it's glorious. And any who have learned these truths and have gone forth to communicate them to others realize how much opposition there is. Of course, Satan can't destroy our salvation. It's, it's once we've believed, it's once and for all, right? And so uh, what he will certainly want to do is to destroy the teaching regarding grace, and that's what we've been looking at here today. And so if we do turn aside, then we'll be right in the same situation the Apostle Paul was in as he writes chapter 7. That's what chapter 7 is all about, and Lord willing, we'll be there next time. And so what we leave everyone with today is this fundamental principle that if we reckon upon the divinely revealed truth, that is a prerequisite 
Okay, if we reckon upon that divinely revealed truth, then we will be enabled to live gloriously in the heavenly realm where we are indeed in Christ Jesus, and that is changing our lives in every dimension. There's nothing more to it than that. Paul writes in uh, Titus chapter 2, you remember, that uh, that it is the grace of God that uh, teaches us to live godly. It is the grace of God, not uh, law. Praise the Lord, we are not under the law. We're not under any law from God's point of view, but under grace. So if we would only see ourselves as God sees us and concern ourselves with what God is doing today, it would change everything. Gloriously indeed. Praise the Lord. Uh, well, let's uh, let's close in prayer. What a, what a wonderful teaching the Apostle Paul has given to us for today. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for gathering us today and for all the blessings of your grace and for this truth. When we see it clearly, it's so simple, and yet because of that, it's also so powerful. And so, Father God, I, I just I thank you for uh, writing it on our hearts, uh, teaching it to us for some so long ago, for others much more recently. But, Father, whenever you open our hearts and minds to receive the truth, uh, it's just such a blessing. It's overwhelming indeed. And, Father, we thank you for that and for all the ways that we now see how our liberty has been so established and maintained. And if only then, Father, we would uh, dwell in this truth and reckon upon it, you've promised blessings for those that will. And uh, they abound as verse 23 ends, unto eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So thank you, Father, for each one who hears this, these words today. May they be a great blessing and, and set free into that liberty many who previously were bound by law. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.